Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Catherine Zach, and this is Beyond Balance. So today's episode is special for a lot of reasons. I have a guest, and I never have guests. And it's my dear friend, the dating and relationship coach, Clara Archwager. You might have heard me on her podcast, I Think I Like You, earlier this year. She and I have been friends for about a year, and we are neighbors in the Hudson Valley. Well, we're actually like 45 minutes apart, but up here, that feels like neighbors. (laughs) And after I did the parenting stress episode here on Beyond Balance, part one and part two with my husband, Sam, who is my only other guest so far, (laughs) that's when Clara was like, okay, let's keep talking about these relationship myths that keep us all feeling bad about ourselves. Let's just keep finding more ways to tell the truth together. (laughs) And you know, that's what I'm up to here, telling the truth, pulling back the curtain in order to bust the myths of stress culture that make us feel worse than we need to about ourselves and our lives and our choices and whether we're doing it right or we're doing a good job or any of it. (laughs) Because the truth is the place where we can really meet each other and catch real glimpses of ourselves and feel seen. And we can say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And that feeling, that sentiment, that's like, that's just everything. Now, Clara and I love working together, having these virtual conversations to share with all of you, but really... Mm, there is magic and juice and just fireworks that can happen when we come together in real life, in person, to do this inner work in community. So we are co-hosting a women's retreat together in September in the Hudson Valley called Remembering You a dedicated four-day-long exploration of our primary relationship, the one with ourselves, regardless of and yet foundational to all of our other relationships, all of our other labels, our careers, our families, everything. This retreat is taking place September 13th through the 16th, but come a day early on the 12th and settle in. Your future self will thank you if you do. (laughs) You'll have a fully stocked fridge and space to roam and just deep room to exhale before we dive in together to a curated retreat experience of self-exploration and understanding and sisterhood and writing and journaling and reflecting and meditating and resting and walking and yoga practices, and oh my goodness, making dinner together in this Nancy Myers kitchen in the 1790s farmhouse that we have rented for the retreat in Kinderhook, New York. It's so gorgeous. I held a retreat in the same house last spring. The link will have lots of pictures for you to explore and envision yourself there. (laughs) And listen, I know that I am the proponent of daily 
practice. Daily practice is like the bread and butter. It's absolutely essential. It's like wiping our counters down and loading the dishwasher at the end of the day. It's like doing the laundry. It's what keeps the whole thing running. And yet retreats are something completely different. There's no substitute. They are one of a kind. Retreats are like deep spring cleaning. It's work that needs a dedicated time, place, group of people, set of supplies, intention, and container to hold the transformation and the big choices and the big changes and the big healing. It's just like nothing else. Retreats. So we have six spots left as of this recording, and I will link to the information so you can learn more and sign up to join us. I'll put it in the show notes, or it's just katherinezack.com slash retreat if you're sure that one of those spots remaining is for you and you want to hop right to it. For now, please enjoy this episode, which is one of three conversations between Clara and me, just giving you the tiniest taste of what truth-telling on this retreat will feel like together. Truth-telling or truthy as we named it in this episode, which is called, I never had a honeymoon phase and busting other myths about marriage. Well, good morning, my dear. Good morning. It is the morning. It is so bright and early. Like we did this first thing and I was thinking, I would love to start many days like this. (laughs) So (laughs) nice. But my first question for you is like a warm-up question. Are you a morning person? Do mornings mean something significant to you? That's a great question. Because through and through, yes, I'm a morning person. I have the bedtime of a toddler, which I think is going to work out well for me with children. I don't know if you don't have children and you're like, that's going to work out well, then you're shown the opposite. But yes, I'm a morning person and my husband is too. And that actually feels important. It's gone both way for me or both ways for me rather in relationship where I've had mm-hmm. relationships where people have been morning people as well. And then they haven't, I've seen it in both directions, both with clients and friends. And so I don't think there's, you both have to be this way in order for things to flow or be successful. I do get feedback from women. And I think this has more to do, I'm curious if this comes up in your work where they're like, they're on their own and they've really developed a practice of going to bed early, which informs something around their mental and physical health. And then they're getting up early and they're, you know, using this quiet, this time. I mean, the reason that I love the morning is because I connect to that space where it feels like the world hasn't woken up yet. Mm -hmm. And even if I've decided between the hours of, you know, 10 and 11 or later in the day when the world is more awake that I'm not going to check email or I'm going to be offline, there's something different about that time and space of the day, which I really cherish. But I found it with people where they're like, I don't want to give up that time in relationship, which I don't think one has to, but... Mm. What I do adore about my partnership is that, yeah, we do really cherish this time in the morning. And sometimes that's together over, you know, coffee and we sit and we talk. And other times it's like we are both up and going to our opposite corners of creativity. So, yeah, 
totally a morning person. I love it. I was going to ask you, like, has that changed since you've been married or just any reflections there, anything you've noticed? Mm, it's changed in that right after we got married, and this was actually James, who, when I first met him, one of the things I loved most about him was he was like, I'm up at five or 5.30 and I start with a cup of coffee and I read my book and then I take my dog out and I train my dog and then I come back and do this. And it was very deliberate and intentional. And he was really missing that time. And we had fallen into this habit that wasn't bad necessarily, but, and I think you go through seasons and phases. I'm sure you have the same thing. Obviously it changes a bit with children where we would get up and we would talk for a while in the morning, but Mm. that was keeping us from that precious time of the day where we wanted to be doing certain things in our own world and work. He is a musician. So there's a magic to practicing and playing at that point in time in the day for him, as it is for me in writing. So yeah, right after we're recording this in April and we officially got married in early November. And right after that, it was like, reroute the morning routine. We're going into our separate corners, which I think is kind of funny on the heels of, you know, marriage, but I know you get that. Interesting. So, okay. You feel like right after your wedding, it was like a definite, like, nope, we need to reclaim this kind of separate space in the morning. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, it fell that way. I mean, I think part of it was the wedding stress. We didn't like the planning process. I think like many people, I came on to the other side and was like, I wish we had just eloped, which we said throughout it. And I don't know, that's a whole other conversation for another time. So I think both craving a life and life in general that wasn't filled with the thoughts around the wedding. And we also are both, I think you and Sam are this way as well, where we really have a hunger for the things that we want to create in the world. We both work for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So there's an excitement to that. It's not like, I've got to get this done. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, there's that too. But it's like, a, I want to dig into this. I think that there's something, you know, it's interesting. It's really supported, I think, the health of our relationship, the things that we've been able to tend to. And we do still have mornings here and there, and especially on the weekends where Mm -hmm. we linger with one another and we have coffee in bed and we chat. But yeah, I haven't thought about how that happened or sort of breathed life into that and said it out Mm -hmm. loud until you asked me. Oh, yes. We'll circle back to that. But I wanted to kind of zoom out a bit because you and I are having this conversation because we're doing a retreat together in September. Mm -hmm. We'll put all the details in the show notes and the intro. Don't worry. But you and I were kind of going back and forth, sending voice memos like, what is our best, most intentional, honest, real way to invite women to join us on this retreat? And at the same time, you and I are like sending these voice memos back and forth that are like confessionals. They're like the things about our... (laughs) Our real lives that like are not so filtered, are not so shiny Instagram worthy. And we're just kind of like saying these things back and forth and feeling like it was a really comfortable, safe space for each of us to be vulnerable, sharing things maybe we wouldn't otherwise say out loud about our relationships and our lives and chill stuff around kids. Yes, yes. And at the same time, we were like sending Michelle Obama on Glennon Doyle's podcast back and forth. And we're like, oh, 
she told the truth. Oh my goodness. And we were like, oh, ding, 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 ding. That's what we have to do. We have to record one of our conversations and tell the truth. And so I'm wondering for you, like, what do you think are the conditions for someone to be able to tell the truth or to be vulnerable or however you'd put it? Like, how do you think that even becomes possible? Oh, I love everything you're bringing up and that question. And as you're saying all that, I mean, I know you're feeling this too. It's like, I think that's the reason that we came together and both in the beginning of this conversation where I'm talking about against the backdrop of marriage and starting a life with someone, the return to ourselves and the return to myself in mm-hmm. that and this retreat being called a remembering, which mm-hmm. I think in many ways is setting aside space, creating space to come into self, journey into self, no matter the backdrop or landscape of your life, you know, kids relationship wise or not. I totally went down that path and was like, what did Catherine just ask me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were oh, the conversations. What creates that space? Yeah. Well, okay. So that also relates to the retreat. So there's a level of safety. So I often say to clients, vulnerability begets vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. you had beautifully posted this podcast episode a few months back at this point, where it was around children and the impact on a marriage. And I read it in a way like she said something that I might feel around Mm -hmm. children yet. And the hard. So I think when it comes to being able to speak the truth, say the things that we may even be afraid to know within ourselves, I think we're often afraid to know within ourselves. When someone else breathes life into that, it opens the door for us. And so I think in a lot of my work, and for years, I actually didn't know that I was doing this. I was just like, I'm just writing candidly about my dating experience because this feels good to Mm -hmm. share my open and honest and very real experience. And people would write me constantly being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I feel so seen. And it wasn't like I held this magic key of like experience. It was just my willingness for my own healing to go there. And I see that in your work as well. And so I think in the context of our friendship, because we've known each other for over a year at this point, but Mm -hmm. It really, I think when you are a truth seeker and teller, you kind of know pretty early on when you meet someone, you're like, oh, we can go there. Yeah. And so it's an environment. It's an environment. And I think given the work that you and I do, we might be a little more tapped into that environment on the regular, but I know that other people, women especially, are so hungry for that Mm -hmm. environment. And while this may or may not directly answer the question that you asked, what I do feel very deeply is that it's the exact environment that we're creating for this retreat. And it's through the ability to both witness the truth within yourself and then express that to others where it's like, that's the release, that's the power, that's where everything is born out of. So I don't know what comes up when I say all of that, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pause. Oh, you gave me the perfect lead in because I'm just going to come out and say it. We each had a couple topics. We're like, ooh, that would be truthy. That would be truthy. That would be truthy. I love the word truthy. (laughs) I just came to me. Okay. And one of yours was, I never had a honeymoon phase. Boom. Go. That's what you said was your truthy. Yeah, this came to me a few months ago. I was with my husband's family. We were all spending time together. 
and having dinner and sitting around and his older sister, who's been married for much longer than us, a good 20 years, got married in her early 20s, was like, are you guys still in the honeymoon phase? And I said yes, because I was like, ooh, I don't want to invite a bigger discussion here. Mm. I was just sort of like, uh-huh, yeah. And I later talked about it with James around the concept of the honeymoon phase. But what that question brought up in me was like, I had the phase when we first met for the first give or take year or, you know, nine to 12 months, whatever it is, where your body is just like overcome with hormones and you're so hot and bothered all the time. And you're just like hungry for this person. But I think the idea of the honeymoon phase around marriage is it didn't even really cross my mind until that came up. And then I came forth to you and was like, this didn't exist for me, was because of the way we entered into the marriage, which was not this sort of like very, you know, methodical, like, okay, you are this and I am that, and we're going to do this thing. It was actually for an honoring and a reverence which I think is why we connected so much to Michelle Obama's words around the hardness of marriage, but an honoring and a reverence for what this entity is, the entity of marriage. I was going to say like, that's a distinction that came to me earlier too, when you were talking about how wedding planning was stressful. And now you're talking about this like reverence for the entity of marriage. There's a difference there. Yeah. Between wedding and marriage. Yeah. Oh, I mean, completely. And I think for me, I was aware that I was not in the camp of, in many ways, I wished I was because I felt really alone in this. I wasn't in the camp of like, I'm so excited about wedding planning and I want this and I want that. And like all the things I felt like if I didn't put up that front in some sense, Mm. that it would look like I wasn't as into my husband or my marriage. And James and I met, I was 35. He was 38, soon to be 39. We both lived a lot of life and had multiple relationships and experiences under our belt. And we were both at this point in life where we were like, you know, the last year to two years prior to having met one another, we were like, who we really are has come to the front. What we struggle with, absolutely. Our faults and our flaws, absolutely. And ways we have messed up, absolutely. But like how we're kind of chewing on all that and grappling with all that. And individually, it wasn't as if there was some sort of sit down conversation around that, but it was like a, an energy and weaved into the conversation of like, you know, we're both in these spaces like where we're both figuring one ourselves out, but we also have a lot of clarity there. And we're very interested in continuing on those paths of clarity, but side by side. And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for me? And what's your understanding of that? And what's the structure of that? And of course, there was all, you know, our values are very aligned. You know, how we enjoy spending time together from food to music to travel is very aligned. But it was exciting and loving and delightful. But I feel like it's helpful to tell the story of how we got engaged was on the heels of like, a difficult situation that we felt like we'd weathered really well together. <laughs> it was at that point where we were like, we can mm. do this life thing pretty well. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So we went to a fish concert, which for anyone who knows me, I mean, when I was, I don't know, in my early twenties, 
I was, you know, hustling. I just graduated from Johns Hopkins and it was like, get the job, climb the ladder, do the thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know what this was until James told me, but he was like following a band around the country that's called String Cheese Incident. I think, oh, I mean, wow. if anyone hears this, they're going to be like, oh my God, <laughs> she doesn't even know what she's talking about. And I don't, you know, I love it. so different. So, so different. So anyway, he's a musician, deep love of music, music. I mean, was a big part of my life, but that's really transformed and grown beautifully being together. Anyway, he loves fish. He loves the band fish. I'm not exactly a concert goer, let's Mm. say, and he loves them. And so there was this, you know, fish was playing. They have these, you know, they go on tour, blah, blah, blah. And the thing about them as a band, which again, if you are a concert goer listening, you're going to be like, yeah, duh is like they play for multiple nights. So I'm like, why do you need to go for multiple nights? But it's like a whole experience. And so He was very aware that this was outside my comfort zone. So he was like, I've teed this up and, you know, I've gotten a hotel and, you know, it's going to be okay. And he was very supportive in that way. And it was me and his brothers, which I think in hindsight, he should have just gone with his brothers. And the last night we were there, they all sort of had so much fun that the snoring in the hotel room was so loud. Mm. I slept in the back of my car. And I left him a note because I knew he would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, where is she? And so here we are in rural Pennsylvania because it was held in Hershey Park. And it's like three o'clock in the morning. And I hear a knock on the window and I see this face, the sad face of James. And he knocks on and he slips into the backseat and he's like, well, this is just not how I wanted this to go. And I think the thing was, is that I wasn't like, you asshole, you know, and not to say there's anything wrong with that. I just knew that. I was like, he's actually more upset about this whole circumstance and the experience of experiencing, because it was our first concert together, experiencing music in this way together than I am. And I know how meaningful that is to me or to him rather, and how much he cares about creating a meaningful experience for me. And granted, we're just talking like shitty logistics and there not being enough hotel rooms and separate rooms and that type of thing. And COVID also played into that because his family was supposed to have, his brothers were going to stay somewhere else. And then they canceled because of, I don't know, some outbreak at that point in time. It was 2021. So there was something in just holding each other delicately. And that has actually continued forth. Like when we are in crisis or things are hard, and I would argue that we haven't faced, you know, there were only many crises (laughs) ahead Mm -hmm. that it was like, okay, this is hard. How do we be tender? I love that story. And also, I think I saw the string cheese incident when I was in high school. So. <laughs> okay. I want to break this down. There's so many things. Like, you know, the question we kind of launched with, which is like, or the statement, the truthy, I didn't have a honeymoon phase. <laughs> yeah. Is like just one way, one instance of a larger concept of like the myths around marriage. And then the reality of it. Yeah. And like what I'm hearing in your story is like, there's all these things that we perhaps think we should have or be doing. And I'll just use marriage. And then there's the reality of what is. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between kind of being attached to and suspended in that like, well, it should be like this. We should both be having fun. We should be, you know, enjoying the same things. We should have the same kind of love of the mornings or love of the concerts or whatever it is. And then you meet the reality and you're like, oh, this is different. And so now what? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think by way of the work that I do, my eyes were open to that before diving in. I'd also be remiss if I didn't. I know some of my own experience is informed by the way marriage was portrayed to me as a mm, kid. Say more. Say more. Well, my parents separated, but they also both had multiple marriages. And I don't say that to be sort of like, you know, oh, it was so like, they were just crazy. What I actually witnessed was them really trying mm. on both sides. Mm -hmm. And my dad, especially, who was married in his late 20s, early 30s, had my sister. Now, mind you, my dad was 62 when he had me. So my sister, my half-sister, but she feels like a sister, is in her 60s. I'm in my 30s. It was a completely different time. So she witnessed the first marriage. And then there was a second marriage. So that was her experience of the stepmother. And then the third was my mother that brought forth my brother and I. And then we had a stepmother. And, and so I have an understanding of, you know, my dad's experience with my mom and that whole thing and them divorcing and him remarrying. But then I also have the history by way of my sister and that whole experience. And so, and even without the awareness and the conversation, and I know you're familiar with this, it's, it's what's bred into you, <laughs> you know, but in terms of what's housed in the body. And so I would say that overall marriage was a very, the act of that was a very triggering experience for me because it kicked up a lot of things as, I don't want to necessarily say trauma, but as memories or want to do. Like, I'm sure you've had the experience maybe in your work, but like I'm going through a phase of my business where I can see myself really with the next phase of growth, really grappling with a 15-year-old version of myself that was kind of hidden from the world. So it's like these two my 37-year-old and my 15-year-old that are are side by side. And there have been phases of life where it's been my 32-year-old and my five-year-old and my 35-year-old <laughs> mm -hmm. and my 28-year-old, whatever it may be, right? So the actual act of marriage, and in that vein, it makes sense as to why James is one of five. His parents have been together for over 40 years. There's a lot of rich warm, nourishing, partnership, family, connectedness in his family, which is undoubtedly why I was drawn to him. So yeah, it was confronting. And I think societally it's framed as this monumental best day of your life <laughs> event. <laughs> and I think when we talk about it not being the best day, it's because, oh, well, we, you know, it was too much pressure. We were stressed or we didn't really like the caterer. And that's all well and good as well. And that all matters. For me, it was something deeper. There was a, a catalyst that came through. There was an entry point here where it was like, by way of getting married, I am opening up myself to a depth of love and intimacy that is really new and confronting and be, can be scary. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, sure it does. It's your truthy. It makes sense. You know, that's you. That's how you were meeting this moment. And I think perhaps there's a tension between like with anything and this conversation is just centering around marriage, but like with anything, there's this version that's presented to us or there's the kind of dominant narrative around it. And I would just conjecture to say like the James's family version of it is kind of like a good stand-in for the dominant narrative mm -hmm. around marriage. Yeah. yeah. 
And so like, we're given that and then we have like this other experience of it. And when there's tension there, which there so often is, it can be complex. It can make us feel shame or questioning or doubt or whatever that is. But ultimately it's not very helpful (laughs) (laughs) or it can be as a catalyst for growth. But like, I'm just so curious then, like, why do we have, like, who are these narratives serving? What do you even think somebody means when they say like honeymoon phase? And like, what does that do for us? Yeah, I think it's very limiting because it, when I think of that phrase, it's not as if I'm like, oh, I never got that because I know the truth about marriage. It's actually Mm. that I don't, I think it's so limiting and stifling and frankly, rather sad to think that like, yeah, you're going to have this initial high. And then it's like, you know, just how you make it through the years and tolerate one another. I didn't want to sign up for that. Yeah. Because what I get is actually seeing my marriage as this separate entity that we both feed and contribute to. And it's through the act of that, that I actually evolve and that evolution is not always comfortable. Not comfortable in the sense that like we're fighting. It's more that I have a husband who is a very loving and beautiful mirror to me. Mm-hmm. But do we always want to be mirrored? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think that's the thing about, I was gonna say if you're doing marriage right, but that sounds like way too blanket of a statement. But I think you and I have talked before about how it's confronting. Have we, or did I sub you out for another conversation? No, you've said that to me. You've said to say more to our people. Yeah, that what I find now in this landscape that I'm in, and it's it's very early stages, but I will say that even, we were only together for, how long was it? Like a two years before we then got married. But I do feel this space of like, oh, it's like, okay, I'm gonna sink in a little bit more. But what I'm sinking into is like, all right, Clara, who are you? Mm. <laughs> who are you in life and love and work and friendship and body? You know, I'm doing a, a lot of very vulnerable work on my body and like my sexuality right now. And to to do that in the presence of another who is saying like i love you i'm here to support you i've never had that kind of witnessing and you'd mm. think like oh my god that's so wonderful you know but like to the nervous system my nervous system is like oh, but are you sure I, uh, you know so in that way it's lovingly bringing up old stuff stuff that the same could absolutely be said for james but it's also hard because there is a very real part of me that's like, you know, I just I just want to shut all that dra- down and like drink a glass of wine. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think like another variation of like that honeymoon phase myth is that like marriage should be easy. You should always like each other. You should always get along. Like the confronting yes. stuff is, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the reason that that Michelle Obama article or a conversation and she's written about it is so freeing is because she talks very openly about the disdain and dislike she's had for her husband over the years. Mm -hmm. Disdain is the right word, but like, yeah, like straight up moments where you're like, I do not like this person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how refreshing to be able to like admit that because I think that gives us all a little bit more space to kind of like 
I mean, I would say part of my work is just to invite people to feel less bad about themselves. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because we're all like, it looks like that. It looks like that. It looks like that. And it's just not like that. <laughs> and I think that's the part that is, it can only be navigated internally, but it's like, what's that balance between feelings of frustration with a partner or a phase of difficulty. And is the difficulty like this challenge you feel in a tough work <laughs> or like moving towards, you know, a yoga inversion, right? Is it healthy growth or is it just like not good? Yeah, we could probably have a whole other episode about that <laughs> between this. Like when I used to teach yoga in Washington, DC, it was like, I would be inviting people to just be doing a seated forward fold and I would have to break the ice a little bit because everyone's efforting so hard. They're in pain, their hamstrings are tearing. They're like, and they have these grimaces on their faces. And I was like, listen, DC is a town that really wants to touch their toes. Like we really want to achieve <laughs> that goal of touching their toes. But it's like, this work is harmful. Relax your knees, relax your face, relax your jaw, exhale. Like there is this kind of fine line we walk between enough effort and just, this is not safe. Yeah. 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 Completely. Completely. Mm -hmm. We're talking about this honeymoon phase, but I'm like, what did I have instead? Yeah. Tell us. And that is like, I don't know how to, you can only sort of do it by way of examples, but in terms of what's coming up for me earlier this week, we have two dogs, which throughout this recording have undoubtedly been heard in some, <laughs> in some circumstance. And the other morning, James has a late night rehearsal on Monday nights and I'm a very light sleeper. So it's, I said, we'll sometimes sleep in the other room so that I can just get to bed. So I'm not disrupted. And I poked my head into the bedroom. It was very early in the morning. He hadn't woken up yet. And I see two dogs, two sitting side by side of the bed. And I just see diarrhea covering the carpet. Oh no. And it has hardened. It's clearly been there overnight. I just shut the door and like in my head, I'm just like, what is this life? And I go to do some work and I had texted James because I was actually recording one of my own podcasts. And I said, I'm upstairs, I'm recording podcasts just you know, in case you wake up. And he wakes up and the text message is like, what is going on? There's poop all over the floor. And in those moments, what I love is that there is this, it doesn't even need to be spoken, but this choice of like, we're like, we're just going to deal and laugh. And like, I knew that he wasn't, you know, he'd been coming off of a sinus infection. So I was like, I got clean up. Like, it's fine. Brene Brown has that whole thing where it's like, you have to both be at a 10. So if one of you is at a three, then the other has to be at a seven. But if one of you is at a three and the other is at a five, it's like, what do you need to cut or like shift or do in order to support that? And so I was like, I can handle this. But it's this ability to be like, we're not going to let something like that be sort of spewed all over one another. I'm using a rather like, honestly, like dog shit is like not that big of a deal. We've also had like arguments earlier in the morning where it's like, okay, how do we remedy this now? Because we actually don't want to carry this on. We don't want to drag this on. Mm -hmm. Versus periods where it's like, no, I'm going to lean into this and drag this on and, and drag this out. And so I guess I think about that in relation to the honeymoon phase where it's this ongoing 
desire to, how do we, we be gentle with one another? How do we honor yeah. our feelings? How do we make space for that? And, and there are moments of anger and frustration and sadness and all the things, but like, how do we just put actually an eye more towards being kind and gentle with one mm-hmm. another? I'm laughing a little bit inside because I'm thinking about those lines that Michelle Obama said, where she's like, you know, you got your kid, you got your baby, breastfeeding's hard. It's not working. Who are you going to get mad at? You can't get mad at your kid. You get mad at your husband. (laughs) So I'm like loving all this, like, we're trying to be gentle. And it's so, it's such a good baseline. And then you think of like, yeah, go. Yeah. Let me just say that also with gentleness comes humor. Like just the other day, I was like, oh God, when you do that, I want to punch you in the face so hard. Yeah. Humor helps. And he's like, right here, right here. (laughs) You know, so there is that, yeah, with gentleness comes humor and also an ability to communicate in a moment where we're like, oh, I am dancing that line. You know, Mm -hmm. when you say that or you do that, oh, it makes me feel like this. And we don't always nail it. You know, Mm -hmm. someone explodes or something, something happens. But that ability, at least from where we sit, sort of the situation I am, took attending to our own work, our own nervous systems, a self-awareness to be able to do that. I would much rather have that than a short-lived like honeymoon phase where, you know, we're just so enamored with one another that the realities of life haven't come up to kind of knock us off course. Right. Yeah. And I love the way you kind of flipped that because I was just, I wasn't even thinking, well, what comes after a honeymoon phase? And you're like, and then what? You just can't stand each other. You just tolerate each other. Like, yeah, neither one of those states is like getting to the grit of it. Neither one of those states is like digging in the dirt. Neither one of those states is like really doing the work. And I think I remember a friend of mine, and we can have a whole other episode on this. She had gotten married in her early 20s. She got divorced. She got married again in her 30s. And one of the things she said to me was like, we expect to have to work in every other area of our lives, like our careers, exercise, our health, whatever, everything. But then we just expect we don't have to work in our relationship, in our marriage, in our primary romantic relationship. Like that seems totally like out of whack. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my mind, it's never by chance that we do what we do. And I know there's a part from what I witnessed that I knew from a, a very young age, like this is going to be uniquely challenging for me. And so there was a way in which the hardships of long-term partnership, not the fairy tale, not the honeymoon phase, were something that from the beginning I found solace in digging into and unearthing and just going right there to the center of it to be like, okay, what do you do in this? Because, and maybe it's, you know, just living more of life being older, because what I also have witnessed is couples and marriages. And I know them. It's like a feeling I get when I meet. I generally, you know, by way of like, if I'm taking a class or the way I'm moving through the world, like see it through the woman, meet someone. And I'm like, oh, y'all still like, it's not about just having a great time. But there is like this history and this love and this tenderness and this, I don't know, it's kind of intangible. And I don't know what you call that. It's not the honeymoon phase, but that's what I want. So that's a building towards versus a like letting it run out. Mm -hmm. There's a great book I love. It's called When Women Were Birds. It's a memoir by 
this woman, Terry Tempest Williams, and she writes about, I like gifted it to my future sister-in-law when she was getting married to my brother-in-law. She writes about marriage and she had been married to her husband for like 40 or 50 years at this point. And she called it like a deeper fire, like Mm. that burns. And it's not like this, like fireworks of attraction and all of that. It's like a deeper fire. So, okay. So like, if you were to give advice to yourself, (laughs) we'll just keep it to you. Like, what do you think it might take to stay curious enough to keep tending to that deeper fire so that like, as the years go on, as the decades go on, you can stay close to this thing you're building, this fire you're building? I have to continue to go into the fire within myself. Mm. I have to continue to stay honest. The thing is, is like that stuff actually relates to when it comes to my work, my livelihood, what I want to create in the world. It also fuels that too. It's not just a like, well, this is going to help my marriage. That's just one benefit or it's going to stoke that fire. But that it's like a journey into self, which is interesting to consider where we started this conversation because it was like on the heels of getting married, we recreated our morning routines to do them completely independently Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and journey into self, right? So it's like that consistent journey into self, which are supported and facilitated for both my husband and I by way of, you know, whether it's like coaching or therapy or yoga classes, like just the things that we do, the kind of nourishing ingredients and practices that we stick to. I'm trying to think if there's something, because that holds so much, if there's something mm-hmm. more beyond that. What I see so much in clients is this, I understand it, I have so much compassion for it, is this trying to figure out and orchestrate and maneuver, okay, this person is like this and they're doing that. And like, I can kind of assume that. Basically, trying to figure out how you avoid hardship or despair or a divorce or whatever it may be, like things breaking apart down the road. Like basically, how can we avoid hard feelings? We can't. Mm -hmm. I wish I could sit here and say like, I have absolute control and conviction over the direction of where my life and my marriage will go. But I don't. And that's, even as I say those words, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So sideways question. I didn't know if we'd have time for this, but I'm going to throw it in there. Another story we tossed back and forth to each other in our messages recently was the cup of Joe divorce story. And you're like, why do you think this rocks us so much? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So we had talked about how I think it was like these like quiet confessions. We were like, keep going back and reading it. And I keep reading the comments and I think it has to do with, for me, and then I want to hear what it had to do with for you, was this like, is, okay, wait, I've put their relationship on a pedestal. I've put them in the category of like, never going to get divorced. Mm -hmm. And then went and did that. And I'm like, oh shit, (laughs) you are in my safe zone. And like, consciously or subconsciously, I was trying to follow that path to ensure safety for myself. And well, y'all went off kilter and okay, wait, can I try and figure out how and the why so that that doesn't happen to me? Or like, wait, what are you experiencing on the other side? What was your why? Like, I view you as a really, you know, this being Joanna Goddard, like a really smart and admirable and someone I admire deeply woman. What are you doing with life? What came up for you? Mm -hmm. I almost feel like this is another version of the honeymoon phase myth that like a good marriage is one that doesn't end. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I distinctly remember you're like, yeah, we had these quiet conversations. I was like making the, you know, putting fresh sheets on all of our beds that Saturday morning and like, got to go do the laundry. I'll be upstairs. And I'm like texting you and voice memoing you. I'm like, I know I reread it. Those listeners who don't have context will link to it in the show notes, this long time blog that we both read. Yeah. Many people read and I'm sure listeners read too. And it was, I think prior to this, if, if someone had asked you off the cuff, like, what do you think about their marriage? You probably would be like, they seem like a really happy family. Mm-hmm. And even in that phrasing that I just used, it doesn't mean that happiness can also include other outcomes or have other permutations. Yeah. But I think what you said before is that a good marriage is one that lasts. Right. Like as another myth. One of the things like, do I know anything to be true all the way? No. Do I feel a lot of conviction around a couple things? Yes. And one of those things is that I just believe that the only two people who actually know what's going on are the people inside that marriage or that relationship or that thing. Because like, I mean, I'm sure people look at Sam and I and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys are so happy and whatever. And, And like, we've had so many moments where I'm like, oh my goodness. And when we were in Costa Rica in February, that's when that Cup of Joe article first came out. And I was like, Sam, I've been reading this all day and it's about how they got divorced. And it wasn't just like I was bringing it up out of nowhere. (laughs) Like we were there and there's this great Joan Didion line where she's like, God, what is it? I forget which book where she's like, we went to Hawaii to save our marriage or get a divorce. And she's talking about her husband, John Dunn, like when they were, had a young child. And that's almost how I felt about Costa Rica too. It's like, we went to Costa Rica to like save our marriage. Or figure out if we should get a divorce. And that's me being a little dramatic, but it's true. I mean, it's like every couple years or every couple months, there's something that like makes you realize that this is not a guarantee and it does take work. And are you willing to refresh that effort and stay curious about the other person and continue to show up? I think that's, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that with that article, it was like, and again, we don't know. But it's like there are going to be circumstances and situations where even if you do show up, mm-hmm. you'll show that's up. Right. That's not the outcome. But I also think that there is lightness and levity and relief breathed into how hard it is. Yeah. And I, I, I think, think it's there's hard. a way in which we just sort of generalize, like, it's hard. But we don't talk about the specifics. And I think that's why when you share that episode in the fall around how hard children was on the marriage. And I was like, okay, so Catherine, so this is a big fear of mine. So can I just let this out to you? You know, and I would say side by side, voraciously consuming the Cup of Joe article and then reading the, you know, 1500 plus comments. I also find myself drawn to content articles where people are like, we didn't have children in order to save our marriage. And I'm like, should we not? Is it bad? Just the other morning, I said to James, I was like, I want to be a mother so badly. And Mm -hmm. I'm also reading all of this content. I need you to know that I scroll (laughs) my Mm -hmm. phone and I read this content. Okay. And like, I know you have those fears too. So I don't know. What do we do with all those fears? And, you know, he's like, we try. Yeah, that's right. I love that. That's probably a good segue into episode two, which yes. is so let's coming pa- yes. soon. We'll pause, let's pause here because we're going to talk about 
babies and mamaing and parenting, and we're going to flip the tables and I will interview, which I am so, I'm so excited about. Oh, well, thank you for being truthy. Thanks for oh, being honest. Thanks for being real. Yeah. It just kind of came to me. I, I just truthy. like, <laughs> let's keep pulling the curtain back. <laughs> and I think that, you know, just in, to circle it back to the retreat is like, that is that space times a thousand. And not that it can't be done on a consistent basis. It should be. But I think you and I have both experienced, whether it's in partnership or on our own, where we have these dedicated spaces where it's like, I'm here to just bear my soul, so to speak, and dedicate space to that. Whether it's in the, you know, with others or just having a dedicated trip and exercises and practices in community where you can unearth that all within yourself, the benefits from there are so so immense. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. So much more to come. Okay. Thank you, my dear. Thank you for chatting with me this morning till next time. Okay. Thank you for listening. And again, Clara and I would love, love, love for you to join us on the retreat in September. The link is in the show notes or visit katherinezack.com slash retreat. If you'd like to join us or just learn more, we, we can't wait. We can't wait. We hope to see you there till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.